Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show. And today I'm so excited to have two wonderful people with me, Dr. Lauren Linda and Matt Simmons. Dr. Linda is a clinical psychologist, and she's the author of Birds of a Feather, a true story of love, hope, and the healing power of animals. And she and her U.S. Navy veteran husband, Matt Simmons, founded the Warriors and Wolves program and the Wolf Sanctuary, which allows for combat veterans to care for rescued animals at the sanctuary in the mountains above Los Angeles. So this program was the focus of an eight-episode docu-series on Animal Planet earlier this year. Now, Matt Simmons is the Director of Operations, so he was heavily involved in the launching of Warrior and Wolves programs specifically, creating cross-species support programs, building habitats for wolves, coyotes, all this sort of stuff. Um, he's got well over 10,000 hours of hands-on work with wolves, carnivores, wild animals, and um, and loads more. And he's also, he was a member of Operation Desert Storm, Desert Shield. He's a U.S. Navy petty officer. He, he's a decorated U.S. Navy petty officer. So you can see why I'm so excited to have these two wonderful people with me today. So welcome, Dr. Lauren Linda and uh, Matt. Good to have you here. Good to have you here. So, um, yeah, you might have some questions about, you know, how do we end up with wolves and combat veterans and, and what's the similarity between the two? Yeah, you, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Go for gold. So how did it all come about? And um, yeah, that's kind of one of my very personal questions. I love, I can't wait to hear about the, your hands-on experience of the difference and the similarities, but let's start with the Lockwood animal rescue center for people who have no idea who've never heard of it before. Can you say, yeah, how it came about and what it is and what happens? Sure. So one of the amazing things here at the Lockwood Animal Rescue Center is that we are not open to the public. We are a place of healing for both the veterans who work here and the animals who find sanctuary here. In America, you know, a zoo, a roadside zoo, a sanctuary that uh, charges ticket prices at the front door, a lot of times they're putting their animals in an uncomfortable situation and putting them on display. And we understand that, you know, all vertebrates, all animals suffer trauma the same way, whether it's a human, an elephant or a wolf. And one big part of that healing process is getting a chance to to be alone, getting a chance to be immersed in nature, getting a chance to be who you really are. And that's why Lockwood is so unique. Uh, Lockwood is a place of healing. It's closed to the public. Uh, we do have some great supporters out there, people who follow us on Facebook and Instagram and you know, TikTok and all that stuff. But what goes on here is a place of healing. So it was born out of a place of love and was born as a place of healing. And that's why the Lockwood Animal Rescue Center is so unique. Wow. I, I totally get it. Yeah. Dan, one of the other things that makes Lockwood Animal Rescue Center so unique is that both the animals and the veterans have experienced trauma and they're both recovering from it. It's not just that the the dog is a service, you know, acts in service to the veteran. The uh, they're both healing from trauma, and they both actually heal each other. It's a mutually uh, healing experience, which is yeah. one of the things I love about it. Yes, most sanctuaries are set up. There's 
small cages, there's drop down feed doors, you push the food in, you flip the water buckets and you move on. Here at Lockwood, we have between one and three acre enclosures. Um, they roll through the mountains. There's natural trees and water in most of the enclosures. And what we do is we allow the animals to select their caregivers. Uh, so it's not like, hey, Joe, you're going to do one through nine. Hey, Frank, you're going to do 10 through 20. We actually allow the animals to select the person they're going to walk this road with. And then we support that selection and we support that growth as both the animal and the veteran heal together. So for those people who still haven't got it, because some of our listeners are outside of the U.S. where it becomes even more remote about, you know, the word vets in uh, like where I'm from in New Zealand, the word vets actually means vet veterinarians. So just to clarify, the vets for people in the U.K. especially, vets are actually war veterans. Can you kind of just dig into that a little bit? Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah, what we mean when we say vets, we're talking about war veterans. We're talking about coursing predators in the form of combat soldiers who go out into the wilds, whether that's the Middle East or Afghanistan, and they protect democracy and freedom. And we find that the wolves here in North America and Canada do the same thing. So we have the coursing predator, the wolf that protects the native landscape and the waterways and helps to move the herbivores from one place to another, pick the good from the bad, and combat veterans sign up to do the same thing for our nation. And that's why we've paired them together here with Animal Rescue Center. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere it said inside every wolf is a warrior, which, yeah, beautiful. Or inside every man, there's two wolves. You've got to be careful which one you listen to. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I totally get it. I had a cat, which was the same. I actually made a song about my dear cat. He was a, he was a little Irish. He was like a little, he was a little battler and he was tough and, and then he was also this absolute lover, and there's that balance which is in a lot of it. Tell me, tell me, how do you, how do the wolves choose their caregivers? You you touched on that. How how do you go about that? Is it? Yeah, I'm just fascinated. So, yeah, I mean, so what we do when uh, make this clear for your listeners, when a combat veteran shows up here and initially gets here for the first week or two, they do things like food prep. They move around outside the enclosures. Um, they're given a treat bag. We address some of the animals that come up to the enclosure and we watch behavior. And what happens a lot of times is there's a wolf, for example, here at Lark. His name is Yoli. Um, we've had him for about 10 years. Um, he incredibly dislikes me. Wow. Um, he and I had a run in when we first rescued him when he was very young. But if Yoli were to select, let's say, Bill to be his caregiver, we would then bring additional staff over. We would have someone support him in the enclosure, and we would start the process of them meeting each other in a very safe environment. And a safe environment to do that is with supported staff in a two-acre enclosure. And then a lot of times, that animal that selects that combat veteran becomes a gateway or a talking point in therapy. So many veterans suffering from trauma don't want to say exactly how they feel. But one of them might say, well, Yoli's having a rough day today. Gotcha. Uh, Yoli's not getting along with Virginia today. And we can dive into that knowing that's a foil of his own emotions or a reflection of his own emotions. Wow. That's just blown my mind right open. I get it. Yeah. It's always easier to talk about other people, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. And we'll Wolves, you know, dogs have some amazing traits. Yes. Um, but wolves are the masters when it comes to reading facial structure, when it, you know, reading expressions, looking at body language, smelling pheromones. 
and doing stuff like that, it's uh, it's an amazing, amazing process by which they kind of assess their situation and assess everybody in their environment. So, you know, they're much more in tune and they're much more selective. Uh, a dog uh, generalizes. So in other words, you know, most dogs are good to most people. There are a few exceptions. You need special dog trainers, stuff like that. But with wolves, it's the exact opposite. They might only bond to one person. They might only bond to one caregiver. They might only bond to, you know, one of the combat veterans. So we have to be very careful supporting that relationship because we know that animal is healing while the veteran caring for them is healing as well. Wow. You got me excited there just thinking of a, a wolf being even – you're sort of saying that it's almost like their, their senses are on uh, – even more amplified and and more uh, uh, they're more aware they're more able with their senses to gauge facial expressions you were saying that fascinates me yeah well they've actually been given more gifts than dogs when it comes in reflecting uh facial expressions so for example when a dog smiles um or makes an expression all of his whiskers either go back or forward a wolf actually has three separate muscles in each side of his cheeks so that he can move the whiskers independently. He can contort his face more. He can smile. He can grin. He can put his heads down. Um, he can move his eyes by moving his jawline up and down. So they actually have this, when you pay attention and you work closely with them, you can see so many different variations of their facial structure and, and how they express themselves. And with things, you know, nuances, the difference between jealousy and envy, you can see in their face. What? The difference between dominance and aggression, you can see in their face. You can tell when they're kind of uh, making a bluster, as we say in America, you know, kind of putting it all out there and trying to act tough when down, deep down inside, based on the way they're moving their tail or their face, that they're actually scared. So, you know, there's just a lot more expressiveness uh, to a wolf than there is to any dog. I mean, you have to understand, even when we talk about dogs, we talk about some of the ancient breeds that have been around for thousands of years. Wolves have been around since the beginning. Yeah. They are the ancient breed. So you talk about jealousy and envy. Can you touch on that? I, I barely know the difference myself, if I'm really honest. Jealousy and envy. And <laughs> can you help me out? And then kind of just touch on, <laughs> or if it's easier to do the aggression, the aggression. And I think you said dominance and aggression, did you say? Yeah, we'll do the hard one first. So we'll do the difference between jealousy and envy. Okay. Envy for all of us homo sapiens is, you know, wanting what someone else has. Yes. And jealousy is the desire or the follow through to, you know, claim that or to grasp at that or try to achieve that. So envy is something internally that makes us feel bad. Right. And jealousy is something that, you know, it might make you feel bad, but a lot of times it makes people achieve more. I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be as good as this trainer. I want to be as good as this other person. So it can work kind of both ways. So an example with a wolf, when a wolf is jealous, he'll stand sideways against the fence line, kind of snarl off his shoulder and almost entreat the other animal to get closer in the hopes that they're going to be able to mimic that behavior or be more like that animal. Uh, okay. So that, that's an example of that. When it's jealousy, it's usually head on pose, their heads down almost like crouching dog, arced back. There's a snarl to their face and a snap that follows in. And that's their way of saying like, you know, that's mine. I want that rather than I'm going to imitate you or be like you, or I want to be near you or close to you to 
replicate what you're doing. Wow. And with a dog, and with a dog, you don't get those small differences. Um, you know, with a dog, it's either they're on or off. Yeah. They want or they don't want. And they're very food driven. Um, one thing I should tell you, one reason you know there's so much more complexity to wolves. Wolves are the only animals that will starve themselves to avoid a conflict. Whoa. And we look at them as these big, monstrous, killing machines, and they do all this stuff. Really, that's not true. Most of what they do is being a coursing predator. But when they know they can't win a fight, they'll actually rather die than get into that fight. Wow. Yeah. There's, yeah, the... There's a lot of misunderstandings with the wolves. I, I get it. So much that we think we know about them is almost the exact opposite. And we've almost been programmed with this fear of them when they actually, they're so full of love. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the fears come from the old stories, you know, going to grandmother's house, looking at your big bad teeth. And those were all stories brought over with people who wore belt buckles on their hats to North America. And the reason they brought those stories with them is that, you know, they wanted to, you know, have cattle and do open range. And it all ties kind of back to the beef industry. Even in America now, many of the fights between preserving native space for wolves comes up against ranchers and comes up against cattlemen. And that's something that yeah. through the months of December and March, these combat veterans I'm telling you about who find their heart and find their love and find a place of healing here at Lark, fall in love with the wolf, understand how important the wolf is. They set out for months on end into some of the harshest conditions in North America to protect wild wolves from poaching. And we support that program. And wow. that's what the wolves and wolves do when we're out in nature. Wow. So I, I want to talk about the dominance and the aggression stuff, but I also want to keep moving. There's so much more to talk about. Well, can you touch on the dominance and aggression? Yeah, so dominance from a wolf can come in two different forms. It can come in, in an aggressive way and kind of a corrective way. And dominance, you know, with a dog, a lot of time. well, I'll stay with the wolf. Dominance with a wolf is usually the head over the shoulders from a side position, kind of pressing the dog down. It's not like a Malamute who jumps on top of a dog and tries to sit on a dog. You know, that dominance is something that's shown uh, in a corrective way. Aggression, on the other hand, is something that's like flipping a light switch. Yeah. And that's why we have to be so careful when we make these pairings. Because we have unrelated animals. We have animals we rescued from Alaska, animals we rescued from Mexico, animals we rescued from Washington, from New York. These are animals that are thousands of miles apart and genetically diverse. So we have to be very careful when we pair them up. And that's why the pairing process takes so long here at Lark, because, you know, we're pairing up animals that never would otherwise come in contact with, uh, with one another. And the difference in dominance is oftentimes it's a corrective thing. Yeah. It's something they've learned from when they were very young. It's a way that they stay alive. It's something they respond to very well. Whereas aggression um, is right before fight for your life, right before fight or flee or faint, as we say, yeah. for, for human beings. Uh, and it's, you know, we do everything in our power uh, to avoid any of those kind of conflicts here because, you know, when an animal can run 40 miles an hour, jump eight feet in the air and has 2,000 pounds of bite pressure in their jaws, you don't want to get into a conversation about, you know, who who can who can best who. Yep. So that's why we use huge closures and we do enrichment and correcting in the form of, uh, you know, beneficial things to the animal, whether that be a treat, whether that be a touch, 
whether that be allowing them to move from one area to another freely to make sure that we take that stressor out of the equation. Wow. So. And all my kids are howling in the background. I don't know if your mic's picking it up. No, no, there's a tiny, sounds like a wolf in the background. It's beautiful. (laughs) Uh, So I'm sure you've seen some very, very moving interactions between the men and the wolves. You know, is there anything which springs to mind as something which sort of blew your mind in terms of, did that really happen? Did I just see that wolf do that or connect or is there anything which springs to mind? The things that stand out the most for me are the animals that, you know, I've cared for for 10 years that still, you know, have a little bit of distrust. Um, You know, for example, we talked about Yoli earlier, you know, he was injured and running free and we had to capture him and all that stuff. So there was a whole trauma uh, tied to that. So when he makes relationships with like Craig, who works for us, and and when Craig goes in the enclosure, Yoli, who's a, you know, roughly 105 pound male wolf, one of the most dominant animals on the property. When all of our animals communicate at night and talk to one another and talk from pack to pack, Yoli is always the last one to chime in and everyone goes quiet. Um, and he's a trickster and he knows how to, you know, use his enclosure to his advantage. But when Craig goes in there, Yoli lays on his back. Wow. He entreats him into his world and piddles a little on his belly and kind of rolls like a puppy. This is an animal that's 11 years old and, you know, has given me a run for my life a few times. And the way he reacts to, to Craig is amazing. And then as a generalization, what I would say is that many of the animals that come here are in fight mode, meaning they've just suffered a horrible trauma. They lived on a six foot chain. They were illegally trapped. They might have been shot. They might have been starved. They might have been illegally bred and had their puppies taken away and mistreated. So they're right on the borderline of that fight yep. or flight thing in their brain. And over time, um, they begin to forgive. And uh, one of the very special moments is a a black wolf named Ryder who lived under a wooden box on a concrete pad in like a 10 by 10 cage. He was part of a drug seizure. A lot of times the illegal animal trade runs very parallel or overlaps with the drug trade. And he was brought to us and it took a year. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he started coming up to me and he would allow me to touch him and rub him and he would play bow at my feet and it was an amazing moment for me to know that he had finally started healing oh that's beautiful sometimes it is um it's when the biggest toughest meanest strongest alpha pack leader dominant dogs or wolves it's when they kind of choose you that you can i'm talking from my own experience when they select you and say yes your heart is in the right place it's aligned and so I'll allow you to rub my tummy sort of thing. That is one of the greatest honors I've found in life. So I totally get it to hear like Craig's story of the the wolf lying on his back. I can feel it. Wow. Beautiful. Can you tell me what's what's the significance of him chiming in last in the howling, that wolf? Do you know what it is? So the way we understand the hierarchy or the way we used to understand was we used to understand the hierarchy to be patriarchal uh, in a wolf clan. Uh, I will tell you by running the sanctuary for the last 10 years, I found out that 90% of all relationships are matriarchal, uh, that they are dominated by the female. 
But the reason Yoli's the last to talk is although he doesn't have direct contact with every animal on the property, we move all of the animals from enclosure to enclosure about every 90 days. And we give them new neighbors and new people to talk to. And everyone on this property in the form of a wolf has met Yoli. And they know who Yoli is. So I think what they're doing is they're acquiescing or giving him the respect at night and saying, okay, enough screwing around. Yoli said it's time to be quiet. Uh, Uh, And they all hush up. Because there really is, what you're saying is Yoli is kind of the king. He's the leader. He's the top top one. Is that right? Absolutely. No doubt at all that (laughs) he's the top wolf, so to speak. And he's a wolf. Is he a wolf or a wolf dog or? He's a wolf. He's a wolf. And in, in America, explain to your listeners, we, we don't have to go down the whole wormhole, but, you know, normally um, what was considered a wolf dog was half wolf and half dog, meaning one parent was a wolf, one parent was a dog. Yeah. In America, to make money, um, people have begun the breeding of wolf dog to wolf dog and calling them wolf dogs. And you get some pretty weird genetic ana- anomalies. For example, yeah. if you breed a wolf dog to a wolf, Based on dominant recessive genes, you could end up with six puppies. And let's say two are dogs, two are wolves, and two are wolf dogs. Or you could end up with six of them all kind of meshed up genetically where, you know, they might have three or five or six percent dog, which is what a natural wolf would carry genetically anyway. Got you. Got you. So there is no hundred percent wolf. You know, they've been bred back from dogs. Wolves sometimes choose to breed with wild dogs. They'll also occasionally breed with coyotes. So, you know, wild wolves do carry a little bit of dog and even coyote genetics to them in the wild. That's just fascinating. So one something which really does fascinate me, um, and I'm so excited to ask you guys this because because you've got the hands-on experience. In your opinion, what are the key differences and the key similarities between the wolves and the wolf dogs and, and dogs? What, what stands out for you? Well, the key similarities are that they are all social beings. They are extremely um, socially oriented. They're pack oriented. That's why our dogs are, are so easy to be domesticated and want to be up by our sides all the time. The, the fact is that they, we have a very symbiotic relationship with canids. But with the wolves, of course, they're much more um, socially adept at staying away from humans because throughout history, we have persecuted them, we have harassed them, we have slaughtered them, we have driven them to extinction. So they have learned to really pretty much stay away from us. And all this fear of wolves in the wild is so unfounded. There are so few incidents of wolves ever harming humans that were, you know, you know, not directly in their habitat. You know, I mean, we've built all up into their habitat, so it's very difficult to to, to extricate ourselves from that. But even then, they don't they don't attack us. But the fact is that wolves have found ways to try to stay away from us, although we're very canny and we've, we, we do all kinds of things to trap them and poison them and, and kill them because we're afraid of them. We've created all these myth, myths about how dangerous wolves are to humans, and they're simply not true. So the, the fact is that um, wolves in the wild are not going to come in contact with humans for the most part, unless we're out trying to 
capture them. Um, and they are, they're very long legged, they're very swift. They have long toes and um, incredibly um, uh, hardy physical natures. They can run for 20 miles at a time. They, they run, when I say run, they move at a trot. And at that trot, yes. they are very, um, very, um, uh, you know, swift. And they can, they could go quite a ways. Um, and they and they typically in the wild can go, you know, they'll, they'll have about a 400 square mile uh, habitat. So it's quite large. And, uh, they, you know, they're, they're one of the monogamous species, which is, uh, very different than, uh, humans. And, um, and they, uh, they mate for life. Um, the alpha and, and female and male. And, um, so the, 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 when we breed them with dogs, uh, to, to essentially make this new trophy pet that people want. They think it's cool. They think it's some kind of tough, you know, thing to have. The fact is that those animals very often are euthanized as soon as they are, um, they create whatever trouble they're, they're bound to create, which is jumping over eight foot fences, digging under fences, getting out into the neighborhood and, you know, terrorizing the local dogs and cats. So once they're out uh, doing that, and they end up in animal services that's our, our, like the animal shelters here, they, uh, they're euthanized because they cannot be adopted out. In many states, they're illegal. Um, many counties, they're illegal. So they, they're not allowed to be adopted out, and they're euthanized. Um, the ones that do live in people's homes, they create such havoc. They usually are just locked in crates or, in, you know, garages or in very small areas they're just chained up and it's really a, a horrible hardship um but the these animals um have both wolf and dog traits and you can usually distinguish them because they have the small ears wolves have very small kind of rounded ears instead of the pointy tipped ears like a german shepherd might have uh, they have they have very furry ears. Their fur is there to protect them from insects and from the cold. Most wolves have evolved to live in, in colder climates because we've extirpated them from the lower 48 states for the most part until we reintroduced them back into uh, Yellowstone National Park in the 1990s. So... Um, these um these these the ears are are, are a land, uh, like a hallmark of of a wolf the, those rounded fur filled ears the all, the long legs the um very long toes they're disproportionately large feet uh you look at a wolf's feet you you think you're looking at somebody on stilts and then they have these big huge feet and they have a golden eye yeah, their eyes eyes can be spooky. I think that's part of what scares people. What contributes to the myths yes. is that these golden eyes they can they pierce you. You know, they can look right through you. And when they're loving and looking at you with you know desire for belly rubs and 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 social bonding, it's all fine and dandy. But if you're out in the wild and you see those eyes, I can imagine that that would be pretty intimidating. But that's another hallmark of the wolf. Tell me, in terms of the personalities, 
are they very and, and like behavioral characteristics are they very similar to dogs or what's the similarity there you mean i guess what i'm saying is like with people you get this full spectrum of people from fearful to aggressive to passive to crazy silly and with dogs i always say you get the full spectrum is it the same with wolves you get kind of clowns and i believe so and, and with the wolf dog as well the the combined nature i think that for all the hundreds of wolf wolf dogs that we've rescued, I really believe less than a handful um, have not wanted yes. to bond with with one or another human. They just wow. want to they want to have a relationship with us, and I can't quite understand it, but they they really do. And and it doesn't take much, and it's not based on food. It's very much not based on food because, because when they're anxious, they will not eat. You cannot tempt a wolf or wolf dog with food. Wow. That's amazing just to hear that they just want to connect. Yeah, yeah. And then they can go for quite a long period of time. They, they gorge themselves um, on, you know, five to 20 pounds of meat, depending on male or female and age and so forth. And they, don't, they can go for a good week or more without eating. So you can't really tempt them with food. The fact is they want to be physically handled. They want to be rubbed. They want to be petted. They want belly rubs. They want back scratches. And and uh, I've I, I found that almost all the animals I've ever interacted with want to interact with me, uh, even those who have been terribly traumatized. Um, yeah, it's quite remarkable. I don't recommend it. Don't don't try this at home. Don't attempt to do this yourself and like think, oh, I'm going to get a wolf dog puppy and raise it and have the greatest relationship. It's not what I'm saying. It's not recommended. These animals, if they don't end up in sanctuary, they are they cause tremendous havoc and they're not good pets. Yeah. And then also just to tie, tie in with your, your dog listeners, a lot of people have gone to uh, dog training and they talk about motivating your dog when you're training it. And there's five levels of dog servitude, right? So there's pack, there's, you know, if they want to go after prey, there's all these different levels of servitude that you can use based on the different species or subspecies of dog to train them more efficiently um, to do a task you want, whether that's a task of protection, whether that's a task of retrieving. And that's why certain breeds are better at these five levels of servitude. The difference between a wolf and a dog is before those five levels of servitude get in, which the wolf performs all five levels of those levels of servitude within the wolf pack, there's one most important rule in front of all of those, and it's self-preservation. It's because the wolf is an independent, sentient being. And because of that, no matter how much training you do, no matter how, what a relationship you have with a wolf, no matter whether that wolf has been on a leash a thousand times or been with you for 500 car rides or whatever it might be, when threatened, they're going to go to rule number one. And rule number one is to preserve themselves. And sometimes that can make for a catastrophic problem uh, with the person nearest to the wolf when that kind of, you know, initial thing gets sounded off, so to speak. Wow. I was going to ask you, um, I've only had a couple of experiences like this, but I'm sure, and I'm sure you've had some where it's like, a, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, or a time where you've thought, Oh shoot. <laughs> oh no. Uh Oh, 
uh-oh, and you think it's going to go so wrong, and maybe it did, or maybe you survived and came out okay, but I've had, because I've had some with dogs, so have you had any with wolves where you thought, oh, no, this is... Yeah, Yoli, uh, we talked about him earlier. Um, so yep. Yoli got to a point where, you know, he used to show a lot of aggression to me when I would try to enter the enclosure, and basically, I I didn't go in the enclosure, right? I would have other staff that had a relationship with him. And then when he got to be about six or seven years old, he got a little more coy. And what he would do is he would walk out into the middle of his two acre enclosure, lie down in the high grass and act like he didn't care at all whether I was there. And then he would slowly move between the door and me. And once he did that, he would drop his head, his snarl would come out, his tail would come up for back. Oh. He would start moving in my direction. And I spent the better part of, you know, an afternoon on top of a den box in the middle of a tree in his enclosure, waiting for the staff to come get me. Wow. Because you just can't tell if he's serious or not, I guess, eh? Well, I, like I said earlier, I don't want to get in an argument where I have to find out. But, yeah, he's, he's done that a few times. And then, you know, a lot of these animals that we rescue – um, you know, we have to perform an immediate medical procedure. We have to knock them out. We have to get them into the vet hospital. And that's always a real touchy moment. An animal you've never put hands on before that you've knocked out. You know, with dogs, a lot of times, every time I've ever seen, you administer a certain amount of medication and the dog goes to sleep. With wolves, sometimes they fight it. And other times they kind of play possum. So they go down, even though they're not down. And you put a stretcher under them, pick them up, start carrying them into the hospital. And the next thing you know, they're, they're kind of up and moving in your direction. Oh, wow. That's, that's quite hilarious. <laughs> well, not funny, but yeah. Yeah, I can feel it. Like you say, they're clever. They're intelligent. They're smart. They like to play. They like to joke, eh? Yeah. They like to check, uh, test the boundaries of their environment. Brilliant. Brilliant. So – Something something I'm also fascinated with is the ability of these animals to read the the psychological state of the vets yeah. and the emotional state. I mean, I know how my dogs can read me. What's what goes on there? And um, from a um, from a psychologist, a clinical psychologist's point of view, maybe how do you work with that, um, Doctor Linda, in terms of matching up the vets? Matching up the correct vets with the correct dogs is there? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's wonderful. It's very easy for me because the animal does it. <laughs> I don't have to do it at all. Oh, brilliant! I mean, I I might know. I mean, I clearly I do know that um, for you know the new vets who are just up here for the first time and they really don't have a lot of experience with dogs. We um, we can always rely on good old Nikki or Huey or Willow to be uh, a good ambassador and they will always allow, you know, body scritches and, you know, they'll roll over and lay down for, for the veteran. So I always know that if, you know, worse comes to worse, I can always bring a vet in with Nikki, who's, you know, largely German shepherd. She's maybe 50, 50. Um, but even some of the higher content animals, higher wolf content, like Huey, who's more like 65% wolf, wolf, He's still, I know he'll still be very accommodating to someone, but it's truthfully the, the veteran on his own who's, who starts making the rounds and doing the simple things like, you know, 
dog poop pickup because that's essential. And uh, doing the feeding and doing the water trough uh, yeah. sterilization and f- filling the, the troughs up with water, that they um, certain animals will gravitate and will will say, you know, this animal seems to really like you. Sometimes they'll be flat out, you know, receptive right from the start, um, and won't be receptive to anyone else. They make this choice, and you know, Matt has a theory about it, but they make a choice because there's something that they know that they relate to. And oh. Remember that all vertebrates experience trauma in the same way. We all have the same axis of fear that we respond to physiologically in the same way. So they, they, they make these choices based on their own experiences. And I can't really speak to that, but these animals have been traumatized as have the veterans been. And they, um, they make a relationship based on a a growing foundation of trust, which is um, obviously you know, the, the bottom line for any relationship. Yeah. No, there, there was um, an electrician came to my house um, just yesterday to talk about getting some internet fiber put in and he wants to get a puppy. And he was saying, what breed should I get? And where should I get? And I said, to him, have you ever thought about turning up at a rescue center and just letting the, cause he's got young children. And I said, if you just let at the rescue center, just let the puppies and the dogs, whatever, let them select and choose you. You'll know which ones connect. And um, great way to do it. Exactly. So important that you talk about rescuing. So important yes, yes. that you oh, bring yeah. rescuing. Number one thing, so many, there's hundreds of that, thousands of animals put down in the United States every year just because they were, you know, uh, irresponsibly bred and then there's no homes for them. Yes, yes. Tell me, Matt, what's your theory on uh, the connection that we were just talking about? Dr. Linda mentioned you have a theory on why some wolf dogs, dogs. Yeah, my big theory is like uh, veterans when we get home, uh, I'm sorry, combat veterans for those people in London who don't know what we're talking about, not doctors. Um, When they get home, you know, they've lost something very close to them. They've lost a friend. Um, they're suffering from trauma. They're not sure how to express themselves. Um, they've got an inner war raging inside of their head. And that's the difference between the husband who left and the infantry man who comes home. And those two worlds are colliding inside this veteran. And here at Lockwood, we have wolves that have that same inner turmoil suffering inside of them. They were once free. They once roamed free. They should as my wife says, run 400 miles and they're caught in a cage and they have to figure out this argument that's going on in their head between socializing with humans and sharing their space with us. And many of the veterans coming home have this same trauma and struggle going on inside their head, wondering if they're an infantryman or wondering if they're a husband. And I think that duality inside both those suffering traumatized species draws them to one another. They're both looking for an answer in the other. They're looking to to reflect from the other back into them as to what they might be or how they can heal. And I think that's why the veteran is so drawn to the wolf and the wolf is so drawn to the veteran. And that's why we see these amazing pairings where animals we would never suspect kind of come out of the back of a three acre enclosure, walk down to a fence and choose to spend time with Joey or choose to spend time with Albert. And we never saw that relationship coming, but now we understand that animal better by who they selected to care for them. Wow. 
hey guys that has just been absolutely fantastic so for people who want to help out who are fascinated who are saying what can i do to help where can they go how how can they best help the best way to help us to save a wolf and save a human life at the same time is to go to our website which is lockwood l o c k w o o d a r c .org once again that's lockwoodarc.org or you can uh, follow us on twitter at lark l a r c wolves or you can follow us on instagram at wolves and warriors which is our instagram handle talks about the veterans and the wolves uh, and every little bit helps right now we've got a big fundraising campaign going on We've got a donor who's matching everyone dollar for dollar, 100%. So if you give us $10, it's $20. If you give us $50, it's $100. So we'd love for all your listeners to be part of this fundraising campaign and make it a really great year for the Wolf in 2020 here at the Lockwood Animal Rescue Center. Wow. You can double your money, guys. So if you put your money this over here, you're going to double it. Somebody's going to match it. Have you got a Facebook page where people can follow you as well? Yeah, we do. We have a Facebook page called Lockwood Animal Rescue Center. And then we have a separate Facebook page for the Wolves and the Warrior Stories called Wolves and Warriors on Facebook. Great. I do follow you on Facebook. I just wanted to double check I was getting the correct uh, Facebook group because <laughs> I watched your videos. They're beautiful, guys. Anyone on Facebook? Um yeah. Hey, guys, thank you so, so much. All the links that have, uh, that Matt's just mentioned there will be on my website. So anyone you know who knows me or wants to go to the online dog trainer.com, the links to the Facebook page, the Twitter, the, you know, all the videos, how to donate, um, links to lockwoodarc.org. Wow, guys. Um, I don't know what to say other than, you know, if I, if I wasn't a dog behaviorist, I'd love to do what you did do. Yeah. Hey, and if uh, you can't donate or you're not sure if you believe in us yet, check out our TV show, Wolves and Warriors, on Amazon Go. You can also download it on your local cable subscriber. You get a chance to really look at our lives. It's eight episodes. They're an hour long. It shows some of the amazing work, running into fires, rescuing wolves and tigers and bears. Um, really great group of guys, really great crew. Uh, you know, we're all kind of in America, staying COVID locked down. So you want to check out our show, tune into Wolves and Warriors, and uh, we might have a new episode coming out in July, and more more to come about that on our website and our social media feed. Brilliant. Hey, Matt, I love the show. I've been watching bits and pieces here, there, and everywhere, and um, yeah, Dr. Linda, Matt, thank you so, so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, like I was saying, I just love your work. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. So there you go, guys. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, and that was Dr. Lauren Linda and Matt Simmons from the Lockwood Animal Rescue Center. What a fantastic place. What a beautiful place. What beautiful people doing amazing, amazing work there saving the lives of wolves and helping veterans overcome their trauma. So thank you guys. Of course, if you're interested, if you've enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe. Do go to my website where you can find out more about lockwoodarc.org. Have a great day. Love your dog and see you on the next show. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog. 